Hello everyone, welcome back to the Tej Talks YouTube channel. Now on this video, we are talking about M&A, which is mergers and acquisitions and buying businesses, which is something that isn't actually spoken about that often. So maybe we'll kind of demystify some of it. We'll talk about what D is doing in buying businesses and what I'm doing as well. But before we get into all that good stuff, you know what to do. Hit subscribe, hit like, go follow us on Instagram and leave a comment and share with your friends. Now let's get into it. So, uh, ah, before we get into it, D, tell everyone who you are. My name is Dee. I'm a partner at 5D Capital Partners. We are in the process of buying SMEs in the UK and the US. Um, also invest in other assets too, crypto, property, and a bunch of other things. And I'm Tej. Hopefully you all know who I am. Property investor, podcaster, public speaker, and a mentor and educator, which I keep forgetting to say. So M&A and, you know, all this stuff and private equity all sounds very highbrow and very inaccessible and like, oh, well, you can't buy a business unless you've got a million pounds to buy. The, you know, is buying businesses as mystical and as sort of difficult to understand as maybe the world makes it seem? Parts of it, you know, it's a, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, structuring a deal can be done every deal can be structured so differently so there are parts of it which are hard to understand but when you get your head around the basics it's definitely not something that you know is out of reach for um you know your average person i think anyone can do it and i think people do it without knowing what it is i i certainly did <laughs> years ago so it, I, you know is um i see people i speak to sellers all the time that have acquired one or two other businesses um to you know to scale and they don't really know what they've done, but they're kind of doing it as well. So, yeah. I th yeah, I think what you said there is right, because even with my limited experience, the things we've been through, I'm like, OK, so we can kind of structure this how we want. But then it's also a negotiation at the same time. So it is a really tricky thing. And, you know, negotiating skills, sales skills are, you know, hard to come by, like, a lot of people don't like selling, but people like buying. So there's there's something there in our education and in, in what we're doing, I think, that's missing, which could help people with M&A and help people with buying businesses. Now, what got you into or now quite heavily buying businesses? Because you've started businesses before. We've done startups. You know, you can bootstrap them. You get funded, whatever. And they're great. You know, startups are great, but they do come with their challenges. So what made you say, you know what, I want something kind of ready-made? Basically because of startups. So I've done multiple startups. Some have done pretty good, I've sold, and some have done terrible. Um, and you feel like it's a waste of time. Um, and you know, there's a, it, when you start a business, there's a lot of hype behind it because you feel your idea is amazing because you don't know what the outcome's going to be yet. So it's very easy to get caught up. And you need to believe in the idea anyway. Um, and you go for a very optimistic phase. And then most of the time, whether it ends up doing good or bad, realism comes along and punches you in the face yep. and you know i'd never wanted to go through that again i'm not saying i would never do a startup again i'd probably invest in a startup if i seen potential but to buy a ready-made business that has already gone through the pain points over a long period of time and now you're coming in and it's already done for you and the way we do it we do try and take more of a sort of private equity approach where we're not going in and running the day-to-day. -day. You can if you want. Um, I do like outsourcing, so I'd rather look for something that already has good infrastructure, good management team, um, where you don't need to go in there and get your hands dirty. And then it is good to have experience in the sector, will help, um, but 
I'm not, I'm quite sector agnostic, as in I'm not, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just looking for something that, I pick a specific set, I'm not just wild with it, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, uh, I, we look for stuff that already has good infrastructure. And, you know, for people out there sort of considering, well, you know, I want to do a startup because, well, I've got limited capital, limited kind of knowledge, you know, buying a business that, you know, generally you, people say you need money for at least a decent amount of money to get a decent return. You know, would you say that, you know, people who are sort of thinking about startups who maybe haven't got as much money can buy businesses, you know, realistically with little money down or no money down? Because that's also banded around, like in property, as the strategy and, oh, you've got zero pound in your bank account, don't worry about it, you can put no money down. Can, is this possible in M&A? And- so the actual deal can be done no money down, like actually is zero money down. We, you know, um, and you've done a couple of your mentees. Yes, yeah, so I've done them myself. I've done them myself, I've done them with my mentees, and you can do them. Um, but to get your deal flow going is going to cost money. It doesn't cost a huge amount of money, but you know, you do need to have some sort of like pipeline in place. So, you know, and it costs money, even if even if you just do the basic sending letters out, right? You know, stamps do become costly if you start sending five, six hundred letters a week. So, um, yeah, it there is going to be some element of investment regardless. Um, mainly time, a lot of time will go into it. It depends how active you want to be. But the actual deal itself can be done in a very creative way where you don't actually need money to buy. And just to give an example, um, I've personally bought businesses doing over you know half a million above um, in revenue with zero money. I've got two mentees now. The one is just the ones we're looking at now, which are looking at zero money down in our pipeline uh, in the millions of revenue. But we've got Rob, some one of the my five D one to ones. His is about two and a half mil rev, five hundred k net or four hundred seventy seven k net zero money down. And um, Dylan, his is 1.1 million revenue, just about a quarter of a million net, and now we're zero money down. We'll, you know, even the accountant and legal fees were both paid in the deal too. So and you've got a podcast and video with him, haven't you? It, yeah, it's, it's not available yet, but yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, in examples like that, and I asked you this when we were talking about it, I said, well, you know, with property, zero money down basically means it's money down, but it ain't yours. And that's kind of a one line, it makes sense. When you're buying businesses, without getting too technical into it, you know, I suppose a twofold question, so how is it no money down? And why would a seller, you know, with a nice healthy business in a nice field, you know, a field that's kind of making money, you're gonna make money, why would they do this sort of deal with you? So it'd be, it's quite interesting how motivated people become. Um, COVID has played a big part with people. Um, but, you know, I've bought businesses off younger people, um, but, I've all, but I would say the sweet spot is somebody that's looking to retire. So if someone's at an age where they're looking to retire, it's, we're very, it's very different in the UK to the US. So the US is very entrepreneurial. People build to sell. Whereas in the UK, most people, most would build a business if they don't pass it down to their children then the only other option when it comes to retire is uh, you know the management team management buyout or they just close the business down and retire whereas if somebody comes along like us and we contact them cold they don't we, you know they, they don't want to, they want to sell at this point they don't know if there's any value and you offer them that exit 
which is beneficial but for both sides. There's things that you can do and leverage inside the business to make that deal work for both parties and they get something that they didn't expect to have had. But then on the other hand, there's people that are looking to sell that you can do the exact same thing. You know, it needs to be a fair deal. There's, you know, it's not where um, in, you know, let's say property, for instance, some person may not have the knowledge of the area and what they could get for their property and you do, and then they're happy, still fair, but they're happy to take a much lower price. Whereas in this, you know, we would advise them on their side to go and get good advice from a good M&A lawyer, a good M&A accountant to make sure they're happy on their side. But some people are motivated to take less and um, or structure a deal that both parties are happy. I think, you know, that, that definitely differs to say like property and crypto, I suppose, because property, it's not that liquid, but, you know, especially in certain markets like now, you can list it and it will sell. It may not be the price you want, but it, it, it will sell. There is a market. There's always a market. There's lots of people who will buy a house, at least when there's available credit. Uh, with crypto, you know, you put it on an exchange, it pretty much, you can, it's instant, you sell it, right? Same with some stocks and shares and things like that. But with a business, I suppose, you know, is it true that there's a lot less people in the market to buy them like you and I? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people in the market looking to buy. Um, now is is a very active market. I think it's the most active it's been since um, the early 2000s, um, just purely based on, you know, especially like, you know, PE houses, they they got investors' money to put to work. They need to look for some sort of yield. So it's driving at multiples in certain sectors, and especially in the technology sector um, and life science sector is, is becoming the crazy multiples. So, um, yeah, there's not as many people in the marketplace, but you're definitely seeing private equity and family offices buying stuff that they may not have originally bought previously just because they're looking to get yield. But, yeah, it's definitely not as many people. Like, if you go to a house viewing today, you're probably going to have 20 people and 18 out of the 20 is going to be probably investors. And it's definitely not like that. And I think that makes it easier in the sense that, easier to understand as well, because you're like, well, actually, if someone's in that situation and they haven't built to sell it like most in the UK haven't, you know, you're giving them an option that wasn't there to them or maybe was there to them with a big PE firm, but they might be thinking, well, they're going to come in, do their typical, you know, whatever, break the company up and then, you know, piss off all the staff. Whereas they might look at you and, and then say, actually, you're smaller, I like you, and I think you're going to take more care of it. Because obviously it's, it's kind of like their baby. Even though they're selling it, I think some people are still going to be like, well, you know, it's been my name for 20 years in the village, everyone knows, blah, blah, blah. So I think having less competition, potentially less competition, but at least less people in it means that you come with a different approach. In property, I'm putting an offer in, it's cash. Oh, so is everyone nowadays. It, it's below market. So, is it, so I don't come with anything special, right? Yeah, you know, and that is important to people. You know, this is their baby. This, some of these people have, you know, built a business over a long period of time. And some don't like the thought of selling out to big corporate. Um, they, they would like to keep their name above the door. You know, I've had many people ask me, you know, are you going to change the name? That's a quite a common question. You know, uh, are you keeping all the staff? Yeah. You know, and people want their staff to be looked after. You know, they've got good relationships and a good, ins- they got a good culture inside the company. They, do, do they want that to change? You know, some people can't sleep at night. If they sell out, they sell out and they're like, oh, you know, I wonder if, you know, John or whatever still got their job. They don't, you know, so um, people like the fact that you're coming in and you're looking, maybe not looking to change any of that. Sometimes you you need to change some things, but 
yeah, if, if the team, if, if the business is already running pretty good, then you don't want to fix what's not broke, but you may want to strip back a little bit and make improve things with technology. Um, but yeah, they, they are more open to it like that personally. That's yeah. And I think, you know, some of the, like some of these, some businesses come with assets, right? I mean, I suppose, yeah, depending on the, the kind of class of business it is. And those assets are important in financing and other things. But also, if you were going to set that business up from scratch, you need, you need to buy, you know, an equivalent amount. You know, I'm looking for MOT car garages. If I need to set that up, it's 50, 60, 100 grand for a kind of big setup. And there's a lot of risk. Because if I borrow that or if I get it, I'm starting fresh. And it's the whole thing you said about being punched in the face as a startup. And I got to find stock. Like there's so much you have to do. So I think for certain businesses, it actually works really well or even better to sometimes buy the business because you get the benefit of the assets that's already kind of in the business. Whereas, you know, setting certain things up from scratch are very hard. I mean, look, if you've got some sort of e-commerce, you know, you're selling little stuff. I think that's a lot easier. I think it can be easier to sometimes actually start from scratch because um, you can really build your own brand from it. But things that aren't heavily brand driven, it kind of makes sense, right? When there's a lot of assets to just to chuck them in for the ride. Plus, if we just take Dylan, to, for example, Dylan bought a business that's 32 years old and Dylan's 26. So that business has been going longer than Dylan's been alive. And now he's been able to pick that business up now and improve it, you know, that business didn't even have a sign up outside. That didn't have, you know. Wow. So, you know, for a company that's doing over a million a year. Crazy. It's, it's obviously a very good name over a long period of time and, and they've retained their customer base very well. You know, and then there's things that you can do to improve it. You know, like we're looking at sort of, you know, running Facebook ads, geofence around Toolstation and Screwfix. And then mm, yeah. there's things, you know, he comes up before them. Um, there's loads of things you can do, you know, even go into company's house, go on the advanced search type in the SIC code of electricians and looked at the ones that started in the last two years in the area. Yeah. And then send them a letter and say, by the way, under new ownership, um, if you want to open an account here, then happy to come in, we'll give you a discount. There's so many things you can do to grow. So many things. I love that idea. You know, yeah, just by, just by looking at from, because a lot of these people, especially when they're a bit older, they've grown a great business and they're at, they're, they're at a farming stage in their life. And in a business, you need farmers and hunters and I, you need both departments. Most people get the business and they become farmers and they farm the business and they maintain it very yep, well. Yep, but they yep, stop yep. hunting because they're happy with what they farmed. But you want both sides. But then there's other businesses that wake up every, on the first of every month and they only have hunters because there's no aftercare. Yeah. So they, they, they don't retain anybody. So you, when you pick a business up, you're picking one up that's usually in their farming stage where it's being maintained. So then you got a chance to add the hunting side to it but also see if you can improve the farm inside as well and the, and the sort of the customer experience. Because all we care about now, as time goes on, is convenience and speed. Yep. So if you're being looked after from a personal aspect, people love that, right? So you can just go in and just by changing something small like that can, can retain customers for longer as well. But obviously there's a lot of things you can do, but we can improve it by putting a new feel and a new vibe inside the business without damaging the internal culture they already have but by incentivizing the culture to do more to grow. And I think that's, that's the kind of bit which interests me the most, is kind of coming in, because most garages MOTs are probably what you said, retiring, and they're just old boys clubs, you know? They're not very nice to go in, they're dirty, no social media, no reviews, no branding, no... Like, it's just a... 
you don't want to go in there. I kind of feel greasy when I come out of them. And like, even talking to them, they're like, you know, it's just like builders, just, you know, and I know that by coming in and making changes that I've done for the past three or four years, that for you and I is just like, hey, it's daily. What Facebook ads, what Google ads, Instagram. It's like, for us, it's just, it's not even a thing. It's literally life. We can you know transform these businesses like a bit of interior design a bit of insulation in the freaking garage like little little things uh, you know something a lot of these things would be free can change and transform a business to make more profit so that's what really excites me it's like right we'll buy the assets we'll buy the leasehold or freehold depending on what the garage the customer base the good name the, the staff but you know the rest of it will be transformed in a positive way and the culture will be you know like you look at most in, like, you know, Netflix has a book called Culture Code, really, really good book. So if you're going to hire, like, it's incredible because they built such a good culture. Monzo as well, like, you know, have a really good culture. Like learning from these companies and implementing the sort of cool shortage tech stuff into like, you know, a five man garage in the middle of Hertfordshire, I think can actually, in some respects, not all of the elements because of the people who work there, but can change their performance, the performance of the place. When people come in, they're happier speaking to little little things that we can do and because I worked in recruitment and like a bit of HR like I know how to do these things that for me is incredible you know it's like it's like buying a house that's a shell it is existing but you change it into something beautiful and I think for people who are like me and I'm sure there's a what is it called like a disc thing or whatever you do those um, wealth indicator survey things mm-hmm. I might be like a creator or something but I love that stage of doing that and then letting it run. So I think we're different in the sense that you're going to be a sort of a, you know, the owner, the chairman, or you could call you a CEO, whereas I'm going to be a CEO, but I'm going to be at least at the start kind of in it, yeah. getting stuff going and then letting it run. And again, people can do either. Yeah, and that's important though. I think that it's good, like Dylan said, he's going to allocate at least six months into his business. To imp- he needs improvement, right? And, and, and if it's done what is done the way it is, imagine what you can do when you improve it. I think Rob's going to be happy to allocate a certain amount of time. And, you know, maybe that, you know, I could have improved some of the things that I've bought better if I did take more of, of, of a, you know, a role inside the company. But, it's, you know, and also when it comes to changing culture, I remember announcing a business that I bought in, when I was in Dubai last year, so I was on... Um, zoom when i announced that i was the new owner and i don't like the whole i'm the new owner sort of announcement I, it's you know it's just a title right so um and i could tell that the person i'm not going to mention the name but the person that i um bought the company from was you know he was very proud of himself you know he had a lot of pride so i knew he didn't want to look like he was selling out or whatever so i had a conversation beforehand i said look i'm gonna have to announce it on zoom and it was very awkward because, you know, the camera was sort of, I couldn't see everyone in the room. So it was a very awkward. So I thought, oh, for one, I need to try and break the ice. And two, you know, how am I going to do this without damaging the culture or whatever, right? And I thought, because he was a very prideful person, how is he going to take it? So I told him before, but I'm not going to say that I'm the new owner per se. But what we're going to say is you built a very successful business. And now you're taking a bit of a step back because of you deserve it. And so I announced it and I said, look, um, this guy, I said, I mentioned name, is going to take a bit of a step back. Um, I'm now the point of contact if you need. And when I say if you need, if the building's burning down. However, we promoted somebody internally there and then. I said, this individual is now your day-to-day point of contact. You all know him and I understand you respect him. He's been here for X amount of time. Um, so if you need anything, now this guy's here. 
And I said, however, there will be some changes. No one likes to hear the change. Depends what you say. So I said, however, there will be some changes. And I paused to see what their reaction was. It's very hard to see on Zoom, bad lighting in the room as well. Um, but I said, the changes that we're going to put in place are, as you can see, we're very you know, big on progression. That individual's now taking a bigger role. Um, so there is going to be uh, an incentive scheme and bonus scheme put in place, um, purely performance-based. And whether you like to turn up every single day and come in nine and go home at five and you don't want to do anything over and above that and you're not interested in progression, you can still benefit from it if you do what you're meant to do between nine to five because each department or each sec- section of the business can benefit from on performance. So straight away, the change that you're bringing into the company is a change that they get incentivized to earn more money, which hopefully they work harder for you because they're going to benefit from it. I've never understood people that cap salesmen, personally. So if someone is bringing more money, so whether you're in sales or... Yeah, yeah, regardless of where you're at, even if you're, say, an engineer and you go out and you do more jobs that brings in more money, they're bringing in sales for you, right? So why would you cap people? If they're bringing in more money and they're making the business more money, then they should earn more too. So I don't understand that. But so there's things that you can do to improve the culture or maintain the current culture without disturbing it being the new owner just by, yeah, shifting. It's also how you delivered that because the pause, it, it was very well done because they'd expect you to be like, oh, people are getting fired, people are getting this. And you're just like, mm, it's good for you. <laughs> like, I think things like that, yeah, it, it makes a big difference. And it's kind of how you say it because even when you present it then you change your voice it's like it's a way of saying things and delivering it effectively and being thoughtful that actually he's quite he's got a lot of pride he's been here for a while you know like I need to deliver this sensibly not just as some maybe as a PE firm might say right with the new owners half of you are fired the rest of you piss off like you know like you have to kind of come in with a bit more kind of panache you know a bit, yeah, more, bit, more, yeah. bit more finesse in kind of how, how you deliver it and can you learn that yes yeah. but I think a lot of people, you know, it's hard. There's a whole room full of people staring at you. You're, you know, it's, it's hard to carry yourself in that situation if you're not, say, a good public speaker or if you haven't done anything like, sort of at this level of confidence before, right? But I think in this video, you know, we've kind of demystified that there are ways, you know, there are multiple ways of financing businesses, yeah. um, you know, which people can talk to you about separately. You can buy them with no money down, but of course, to get a good pipeline, you need some money. Yeah. Um, but there will be some businesses where... You know, will there be some businesses where point blank you do need to put some money into, like to buy it? Yeah, I wouldn't go into it thinking that every deal is going to be zero money down. Yes, they can be done, um, but you may need to cover some sort of shortfall um, and then you just go way up. You know, do I want to walk away from this deal, which could potentially give you a couple of hundred grand a year net over 40 grand or whatever. So, and, yeah. and then it goes back to the stuff that like what you do and we do it, when it comes to sort of raising finance as well yeah, of course, and, you yeah. know and the ROIs are pretty good for people so you know there's there's def- different ways of looking at it and you just go away up the options kind of like a property deal right if do you, do, you, do you if it's a little bit out it doesn't fit your criteria but you're too grand out you're going to walk away or you're going to be strict so it's, it's you just got to weigh it up but yeah I wouldn't go into it thinking every deal is going to be no money down but they are possible and you know it's not just myself there's you know I've helped people get those no money down deals in the current market recent you know, we had an event a few weeks ago and one, one of my one-to-ones lives in Mexico. He's British, but he lives in Mexico and he's just done a deal in the UK. And he's the one which is 477k net profit and that is zero money down.
And that's that's just salary waiting to be taken, I think. <laughs> well, not all of it, but you know some of it. Sure, we could all live on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. How much is how much is a Bentley now? Yeah. Um, but look, everyone, um, D is actually helping me with M and A and with looking for an MOT and garage business. And my VA is doing an incredible job of finding you know kind of cold leads for me. So right now we're in the process of sending the letters out and kind of talking to people and trying to generate leads. So if you want to follow my journey, test talks property, but I you know do other things as well. Make sure you hit subscribe, follow us both on Instagram because I am, as usual, going to track this M&A journey and quite specifically, I'm probably going to track it on YouTube. So there'll be a different playlist for this, but you can see kind of what I'm doing, how I'm doing it and I suppose the progress and what's inevitably going to be a lot of rejections, I think, naturally with everything. So yeah, hit subscribe and we'll see you on the next video.